Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season, we are inviting you to experience Rhythms of Grace, a season dedicated to discovering spiritual disciplines and learning together how to connect with God and enjoy being in His presence more. Today on the podcast, we have Connie Meyer, pastor of outreach and implementation at Glencairn Church and someone that you'll recognize from our Dead Mentors episode. Today we talk about sacred pathways with Connie. Even though we aren't considering this an official practice for the booklet, we want to spend some time considering how we connect with God. The beauty and challenge of spending time with God is that we all connect to Him in different ways. Sometimes things are a discipline we need to work on, but we can also learn how we're wired and use that to find freeing and life-giving ways to spend with Jesus. Oh my. <laughs> For real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess. From the Park Manor days. Yeah. Right? And I think you were my French teacher in grade oh eight, maybe. Oh you were no, a don't hold teacher? that against me. Don't hold that against oh, me. Wow. No, not at all. Yeah. No, I just remember sleepovers at the Meyer house was the best because you guys had, I mean, Brianna, she's great. But then you guys also had um, Guitar Hero or oh, whatever. All and these Dance cool, Dance Revolution. Yes. And the Life's the a Party game mm. or I don't wow. know what, yep. but it was... Yep. Bobbin. You were the party house. You were the party house, oh, and you had know. good snacks too. Oh, so good. I'm glad. You gotta feed feed the young people. Yeah, mm-hmm. way to get them there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But thank you so Aww, much. I so think. Good. Thanks yeah. for inviting me, Jenny B mm-hmm. and Ainsley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just have more history. I'm sorry. I don't mean to just yeah. you know not include you. No. Yeah. No, it's all good. Yeah. No, but I was thinking. I'm like, it's such a gift to like have like people in your life, like close friends, good community, but like mm. to also like know their parents and mm. like. Yeah, I just think it's such a gift. So hmm. thank you for being here. Um, we are going to dive into, yeah, this whole conversation about like sacred pathways. And we originally, like Ainsley and I did Timothy training, gosh. Seven years ago. Oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> for yeah. real. That's yeah. wild. wild. That must have been one of the first ones, was it? We, were, we were the, the first. We were the yeah. first. We were yeah. the little guinea pigs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But well. that was kind of the first time. I mean, and you taught mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the day about sacred pathways and I just remember you got us to do different activities and whatever else I'm like this is weird (laughs) some things I'm like I love this other things I'm like this is stretching and challenging Mm -hmm. but before we dive into that conversation we just have some fun facts so people can get to know you so describe yourself in three words oh my (laughs) um extroverted um Laughter, coffee. Love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, I don't know if coffee is a descriptor of a person, if that's allowed. But no, I, feel I think like it, it really can be. Okay, I think it really <laughs> is. Thank you. Yeah. How Thank do you, you take for your coffee? That? Oh, well, it depends on type, but I guess mm. a latte would be just a go-to. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Me too. Currently, I'm drinking an iced coffee with whipping cream and milk and a little bit of salted caramel, sugar-free. Wow. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, <laughs> it's very yum. tasty. Yes. <laughs> um, how would you spend a free day? A free day? Oh, probably I would try to connect with somebody, like do either like a walk or a lunch or a something. Um, oh, maybe read, exercise, go rock climbing. Um, or I would try to fit in all the things in one day. 
maybe go down, you know, be in nature somewhere near our house, go on the trail. Mm. I don't know. There would be so many things I would want to do and it would just be like, how do I narrow down what I want to do today? Mm-hmm. That's, sorry, that's the seven in me as an Enneagram. We won't get into that, but <laughs> uh, that's just okay. like, I need to do all the things. Yes. Okay. Mm, love it. Um, if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Oh my goodness. You should have given me these questions ahead of time. I intentionally I did these not. because <laughs> I always think I'm going to get the wrong answer because my memory's not good at the best of times. And then I, afterwards I'm like, oh, I should have said this. <laughs> Anyways, just know that it's stressful. Okay. That gave me time to think. Henry Nowen. Um, we're not allowed to say Jesus, I guess. Right. No, you can. <laughs> people do. <laughs> no, I, I would just be saying that to be impressed people. Um, Oh my goodness, alive or dead? Who do I really admire? Um, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. Um, Danielle Strickland. There you mm. go. Can I come to that dinner party? (laughs) (laughs) Every time somebody shares their people for this, like I'm always like, ooh, oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. So I don't know if I could ever pick my three people. Somebody asked us once and I was like, I've heard so many great dinner tables. Mm, And I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, Mm -hmm. good picks. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I'd have fun. What is your favorite beverage? Coffee. Coffee. (laughs) Well, wine, wine. No, I'd probably wine more. Well, I wouldn't need, that's not a beverage. It's not like refreshing, but like to enjoy Mm. and to sip for Mm -hmm. sure wine. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it's bubbly water, hundred percent. Yeah. All the buble flavors or just straight up soda water. Nice. Love it. Mm. I have to say. I think I just said three instead of one. Hey, no, that's all good. I, Mm. I'm not a huge wine drinker, you know, like at weddings and whatnot. I will have it every once in a while. Mm. Brianna's wedding, the white wine, the best I've ever had. Like I would actually. We like, just had some last night on the deck with you? Brianna. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> That's so good. Bottle. Yeah, it was the best. Yeah, we're kind of wine snobs. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> wine and coffee mm-hmm. and bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Uh, the, where's the best place you've been to? Oh my goodness, Elmira, Ontario. Well, Elmira is right <laughs> up there. Um, like visited. Oh boy. This is really hard. There's been so many great places. Um, I really, I, I love England because we lived there for a year. And just because of the greens, there are colors of greens in England that we don't have mm. here. So just the sheer beauty. But in terms of cool places, I really love the Colosseum in Rome. I was just really mm. impacted and just found it striking in sort of its horrible history, but also this crazy architectural beauty so I don't know why that pops oh Mont Saint-Michel no sorry stop I don't I take back that answer Mont Saint-Michel that was always on my bucket list to go there Mm. which is a monastery um on France just off the coast of Normandy that when the tide's out you can get to it when the tide comes in it's completely surrounded Mm. and it has this whole like monastic community that's lived there for centuries and it's still active monastic community and just rich and history and gorgeous and yeah we'll say michelle cool i just i heard about that for the first time not that long ago so oh. i kind of added it you ever to get a chance to go yeah go. sounds amazing yeah and a whole crazy sort of like weird superstition about this sand that's all around it like hmm. people actually it's almost like a quicksand, okay. certain parts of it, and the ways that the tide affect it. That in the past, when people make their pro- pilgrimage to Mont Saint Michel, some people would die because they get stuck in this like quicksandy wow. stuff. So it kind of became this kind of weird, um, <laughs> horrific yeah. place where people died on their pilgrimage to this place just because they wanted to go there for prayer wow. and to meet God. So 
Cool. Anyways, but you won't die if you have a guide to help you. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So tell us about yourself and what life looks like for you right now. So I am 54 years old and currently a pastor at a church in Kitchener. That has been a new journey for me. I've only been there for a year and a half. Prior to that, I was a teacher and, um, yeah, so it's been a big shift vocationally. Um, have three grown kids, one grandbaby, great husband of 34 years. How'd you do the math there for a second? So yeah, life is rich. It's really good. I'm just loving my life right now. Mm. Nice. Well, before we get started into chatting a little more about Sacred Pathways, just want to get a little bit of a snapshot of your sort of faith formation and faith Mm. journey. So Mm -hmm. um, just talk to us about a few of your sort of pivotal moments on your faith journey. Yeah, I was thinking through this, you know, I I want to just give snapshots because we're not going to get the whole history, nor do you want to hear the whole history of (laughs) Connie Meyer. Um, You know, accepted Jesus at a really young age. And then sort of as I started um, hanging out with my now husband, um, we did these things called um, the theater where one of our friends worked at a local cinema. And once the cinema was closed, a number of us got together in the theater and spread it all throughout the theater. And we'd talk about really deep, like spiritual questions. Like somebody would go up on the stage and throw out a question about God or Jesus or whatever. And we would like literally process for hours together. I just remember that being really central in helping me to form my own understanding of who God was and making Mm. my faith really my Mm. own. So that was one really pivotal moment. Um, My husband and I did a year away on mission when we were first married. And um, again, hugely formational, two kids from KW to learn about the world that's much bigger than KW and just what God was doing all over the world and, and came back and immediately got thrown into like leadership in the church. I could just... Like I ended up leading a worship service that had never been done at our church. They're like, can you start a contemporary worship service? I was 20 years old. I'm like, sure. Mm -hmm. So like discipleship for me really happened through service and being on mission, right? Like just sort of, just sort of thrown in. Like what do I know as a 20 year year old about building team and running, you know, doing a service and pulling people together to do that. So that was hugely formational for me just to trust Jesus that, you know, somebody recognized something in me and. I just got to go for it and, and trust that I'm being invited to serve in this way for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, and just to see how God used that. So that was, that was really awesome for mm-hmm. my twenties. And then in my thirties, um, really another pivotal moment was when we ended up switching churches, um, and exposed to more intuitive and creative ways of meeting with God that I had never been exposed to before. Like I really was raised in a tradition that was really, awesome, like foundation scripturally, biblically, but didn't really engage or capture my heart or my imagination. So Mm -hmm. to be exposed to things like Lectio Divina and, you know, ways of meditating on scripture or using images in prayer or um, really experiencing God um, in nature, praying with other people and kind of bouncing off of, you know, the things that they were hearing or seeing. And like, this was all just really new to me and she was so rich. And I uh, just really felt like that was almost like a starting point of like, wow, there are really unique ways 
there are new ways to meet with God that I never knew of before. Mm. It's like, this so fits my wiring and where has this been all my life? You know? So that was, um, hugely rich, um, and helped actually kind of in a long way, um, lead to me discerning to go to seminary to study some of that stuff, Mm. um, spiritual formation and spiritual direction. Um, I went through my own dark night of the soul later in that decade, uh, where kind of all those really intuitive, beautiful ways of meeting with God were suddenly stripped from me. And I, like God just felt completely absent, felt completely dark. Um, and seminary for me was actually a really good rebuilding and healing time for me in that, like where I deconstructed in a way that my spiritual director was just like, can you just hold on to the hand of Jesus in the midst of this, like not seeing him, not feeling Mm -hmm. him, not knowing him at all. And just trust somehow that he's there with you and going to pull you through this. So um, that too was hugely formational to see that I needed to have those 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 ways of meeting with God stripped away from me, so that I wasn't just seeking after those experiences mm. and using those, you know, kind of almost idolizing those ways of meeting with God to actually just let God be God and let mm. Him birth in me a new faith that was actually. Yes, it's partly me saying yes, but it's partly just pure gift that Mm. he just has to grow that in me. So, Um, yeah, and then since then, really just been a rebuilding with a deeper love and appreciation for the mystery of the Trinity and who Jesus is and how he fits in with that. And and then just the, the long journey into pastoral ministry has also been a hugely formational thing for me where you know, really sense that call like over 15 years ago, but it took a long time for that to come to fruition. So, mm. yeah, so that's kind of high level, mm-hmm. some of the key pivotal moments uh, for me. Mm. Mm. Well, you set us up really well for the next question of talking about like, what are sacred pathways? You said it like t- connecting with God through nature or meditation mm. or whatever. So mm-hmm. sacred pathways, what are they? And um, maybe you could also talk about like where we see them in scripture, history, sacred pathways, all these things. What is it? <laughs> what are they? <laughs> okay, well, let's just start real high level so that we're, you know, because there could be so many ways that we go with this. But first off, I mean, that's from a book by a man named Gary Thomas. And I just want to say right off the bat as a caveat, sacred pathways does not mean that there's many ways to, to God. Mm, right? Like mm-hmm. Jesus is the way to God. Like we know that he has declared himself as the way, the truth and the life. Right. So I just want to set that foundation, right. That we're not making assumptions that there's a mm-hmm. whole whack of different ways, um, to get to God. Um, I think what sacred pathways and what we want to get into as we keep talking is that there can be many ways of interacting with God that are really, allow us to engage our unique wiring and personalities and, you know, who we are to meet with God. Like just like, for example, like, you know, my relationship with you, Jen, is different than Ainsley's relationship with you just because of, you know, the ways that you connect and how often you see each other. And right. So it doesn't mean that my relationship with Jen is any worse or better than Ainsley's relationship Mm -hmm. with Jen. Mm -hmm. It's just different because we are different people in that uh, dynamic, And I think with God, it's the same way. Like God is just so infinitely able to relate to us in ways that fit our personality and our wiring. And he loves for us to come to him from that place of just truly being ourselves. So um, ultimately, it's just 
practices that allow us to come into this receptive space where God can transform us into the likeness of Jesus. There's not one right or wrong sacred pathway, but um, we might be drawn to some more than others. We may need to stretch ourselves to try others that we haven't and maybe discover (laughs) something new about ourselves or about God that maybe we haven't seen. And I think, too, the gift of church history really it seems like denominations and, and, and streams of Christianity have really sort of almost diverged over this, mm-hmm. where you see in one stream people who all relate to God in one way, whether mm-hmm. it's through the mind or, you know, one way over here that's more like, oh, you know, all oh, charismatic and all about speaking tongues and the gifts. And, you know, so we've almost diverged over these things, but I think there's beauty in each of these streams that we can glean from mm-hmm. for our own personal walk with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and scripture. Let me talk about scripture too, because I forgot to mention that. So again, we can see there are just so many ways of how God interacted with people. Like God always comes down to our level, right? Like he is above all and he's completely, you know, transcendent in the sense that he's just like above and beyond what we can even understand and imagine. But when he comes down to us, you know, he ultimately did that in the person of Jesus, right? He just comes into our Mm. space, our culture, our time, Mm. and he can relate at that level. So, you know, from Abraham, you know, we see him using like altars and sacrifices as his way of meeting with God. And then we've got, you know, Moses and Elijah who are these activists, like confronting evil and wanting to just see these these, you know, these people freed um, from slavery. And then we've got David, who's like celebrating God with enthusiastic worship and um, Solomon through these generous sacrifices. Ezekiel was just like this crazy, like vivid mm-hmm. imagination and pictures and prophetic um, visions of God. So we, we see it all woven through scripture. And, and I think, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, I'm just thinking of one example in particular where it was the exact same... Um, could have been interpreted as an act of worship. And from one person he received and one one person he didn't. So like you think Mm. of when he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, she served him by giving him food. And he just received that as like a gift of her way of saying thanks for healing Mm. her. But then you get to the story of Mary and Martha. (laughs) And Martha's like, hey, Jesus, like get my sister to help me with serving you food. He's like, no, that's not Mary's journey right now. Like Mary just needs to sit here and she's doing the right thing for her, just sitting at my feet and being taught. Mm. So... I, I say that to say externally, you know, when we look at people involved in different spiritual practices, we might not, we, we can't see their heart and whether that is a space of obedience and of, of them connecting with God to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus or not, but God knows. And I think that is a journey for each of us in our relationship with God because it is unique. Um, yeah. So anyways, I just give that as a background that that's how it's sort of woven through scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I find, I remember it, it's, it's funny because like we said, Timothy training was seven years ago yeah. and that was the first time I'd heard about uh-huh. kind of sacred pathways and it was like kind of intriguing, but not necessarily like sad. And I remember the first time it really was eye opening to me was when I was friends with a girl who grew up Catholic mm. and she had kind of like more just not necessarily super devout or anything. And she was introduced to a relationship with Jesus in her sort of late teens, young adulthood, and had this new relationship with Jesus throughout all this. But she still said like, and she married a guy who like 
went to like very charismatic stuff. Okay. Um, but she just loves like mass and like mm. liturgical services. Mm. And I remember like being like, what? And this girl is wild. Like she used to go on like 12 day backpacking mountain adventure. And I was like, really, you, you like mass? And she was just like, yes, something about the tradition Mm, and the mm -hmm, symbols and the mm -hmm. smells. Like I just feel most connected to Mm -hmm. God. And I was like, interesting. And then I went back to the church where I, like I used to go to Catholic school and I went back to the Mm. church for something different, like a wedding or something. And I like walked into the sanctuary for a minute and like immediately the incense like hit me. And I was like, I was like transported back. And I was Mm -hmm. like wow, God, like you do work in all these ways Mm. and things that I had previously really turned my nose up at Mm -hmm. as being like super uber religious and super uber just like regimented and things like that. And more looking at like, look at all these ways that God connects with us. Like Mm -hmm. he created everything Mm -hmm. and here we can actually see him through these things. So um, since then, I'm so much more like intrigued by all of these different mm-hmm. things. So uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit with you. Yes. So can you just kind of go through, break down yeah. some of these um, main pathways that people okay. use to connect Let with me, God? Yeah, I'll go through the, in, in Gary Thomas's book, he's got nine, which actually I think are a good sort of summary of, of sort of the range that we can find of these sacred pathways. So I'll just go through the nine really quickly, just with one sentence. And then if we want to look a little bit more into each one of what, like scripturally, what that looks like, yeah. and maybe what some of the practices are, mm-hmm. we can do that. So the first one is the naturalist. And this is the person who just feels so close to God in nature, right? Like that is their go-to place when they want to be with God is just to be in nature and see him at work there. The second one is called the sensate. And this is a person who really loves to be uh, like in a beautiful worship space that's filled with awe, it's drawn into worship, you know, again, because of all the sensory, like you were talking about Ainsley, like that sensory expressions of worship through smell and beauty and and even sounds like there could be bells and stuff. Um, the third is the traditionalist. This is the person who is drawn into things like rituals and liturgy and, you know, prayers written by ancient saints. Um, the fourth would be what's called an ascetic or ascetic. Um, and this is somebody who needs actually the opposite of a sensate, who needs to have all the sensory distractions withdrawn so that they can be completely alone in silence mm. and with no distractions to feel close to God. Then there would be the activist, and this is the person who really feels God's presence when they are operating in spheres of justice and activism on behalf of the, the oppressed or the overlooked. Then there's the caregiver who sees Jesus in the people that they serve. And, uh, you know, you think of like a Mother Teresa in that, right? Then there's the enthusiast who uh, really loves like exuberant, like worship settings, uh, really loves like um, seeing God work in amazing, miraculous, you know, signs and wonders kind of ways. There's the contemplative who just Really, it's all about having an adoring heart for God. Like, it's just really a lover of God who really loves to sit in quiet and just adore the character and the heart of God. Very introspective. Then there's the intellectual who, through studying scripture, theological concepts, maybe even history or, um, you know, from dead mentors, (laughs) um, is what makes them feel closest to God is through doing that. So that's sort of an overview of, you know, some of the categories. And um, do you want to just unpack them a little bit? Yeah. 
Okay. So the naturalist, this is, you know, when you think about um, the heavens declaring the glory of God, like mm-hmm. it says in Psalm 19, um, this is, uh, you know, a person who really can easily see that in nature, you know, that they see the greatness of creation and that just shows the power and the the infinite wisdom of God to be able to create all this, or maybe the multitude, like just of how much variety there is in plant life or animal life or in landscapes. And then just this beauty that can overwhelm their soul and just draw them into a relationship with um, God in that moment. And I think, um, you know, I also want to just touch on maybe a temptation of each of these um, mm-hmm. pathways. So for the naturalists, you know, that's obviously their their way of most easily meeting with God. And again, I just want to, I didn't say this to begin with, but you may be pieces of a few of these, but you probably have one that's sort of like your like main sort of go-to way of meeting with God. So I'm not saying that you're going to be like funneled into just one of these ways, but you might want to identify sort of what's your base mm-hmm. one and then maybe you have a few others or maybe there's ones you want to explore and just say hey I've never tried something like that I'm going to try mm-hmm. that and see mm-hmm. if that enriches my experience with God so for the naturalist I guess the only temptation is uh, well there's a couple maybe one is there's always sort of that um, temptation and we see this in our surrounding culture right where we've we've heard that you know um, God is or you know in or God is everything like God is nature, you know, the, mm. sort of this pantheistic view that, you know, that river is God. Well, we know from scripture that's not true. God created it, but those things point to him. So I think it's a unique distinction we need to be careful of as Jesus followers that we don't get drawn into that. And I think also too, um, because naturalists, you know, would love to be outside and, you know, with nature, sometimes it's hard to go back to the real world and to just, mm. you know, wherever their work or school or neighborhood, just to actually take what you've gleaned from those experiences and just um, to be prepared actually to be with like people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, (laughs) serving. Um, The second one, the sensate, this is loving God with all of our senses. So the one scripture that I think of this that really underscores maybe this is in the beginning of Revelation, the, the picture of the risen Jesus is like, it's really sensory, picture of the risen Christ, you know, with like eyes flaming and a sword coming out and like glory all around. And it's just, you know, his voice is like rushing waters and, and, you know, John's reaction was just to fall face down before him. So it's just this really sensory kind of overwhelming experience, experience of who the risen Jesus was. And of course we see other examples of this in scripture. So loving God as a sense that you just want to be that person who incorporates all five senses. So, you know, sound, um, maybe it's through music or through instrumentation, you know, Psalms talk about that a lot or smell. Like you said, when you walked into that church, how incense can be, you know, smell is that sense that's most closely linked with our memories. Right. So, Mm. you know, we can use that as a way of just like, okay, um, in those worship spaces where incense is used, okay, you were invited in, like, and incense was often seen as like a, you know, the prayers rising to the throne Mm -hmm. of God. Um, Touch, um, we see this in the Old Testament where, you know, the the blood from the sacrifice, Moses touched that to the earlobe and the, you know, the right thumb and the right toe. And like, so it's really tactile experience of being consecrated 
to God for service. And sight, of course, we all know a huge portion of our brain <laughs> is dedicated to processing visual information. So, you know, we can use that in mm. worship and taste. Why not? Uh, why not use taste as a way <laughs> as a as a way into God? You know, the the symbols in the traditional cedar or seder meal, the lamb, the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, you know, they can reflect a piece of the heart of God, right? Mm. That you know, bitterness things in our prayers that are unanswered and, you know, sweet things remind us of good, God's goodness. So the sensate can just draw on all those things as a way of worshiping God. And I think they need to be careful of um, just allowing those sensory experiences to re- replace, you know, worship for the true God, like to not get focused on that so much and what's happening in their bodies, but to be uh cognizant that it's God who they're mm. worshiping. Mm. Um, and it can, they can be misleading too, right? Like if they're not linked in with sort of our, our will. Um, the third one, the traditionalists, um, these are those people who really love to use, excuse me, rit- ritual, symbol, and sacrifice as tools to remind them to, over and over again to come back to God. Like even Jesus himself modeled this by, by it was his custom to go to the synagogue, right? Like he participated in the rituals of the faith community. Yeah. And it was a way to distinguish between the holy, the holiness of God and the common and the everyday. Mm. So rituals could be things like, um, you know, using the book of common prayer or having a rule of life, or maybe you have, you know, scheduled prayer times. Maybe you're just that type of person who's wired, who loves that familiarity and rhythm or symbols, you know, that help us to preserve the memory of, of what we've learned in scripture. Like you see, you know, Moses in the old Testament raising that bronze snake on a stick, um, you know, to remind people, look that you can be healed you know, when you look at that as a symbol of, of God's victory over um, ultimately Satan. And then sacrifice, you know, um, and I think in this case you could use like Lent as an example of that where you have some sort of mini sacrifice that you mm-hmm. participate in for those 40 days leading up to Easter just as a reminder of Jesus' great sacrifice for us. So those can be tools into meeting with God. And I guess the temptations there for a traditionalist might be just serving God without knowing God, like going mm. through these rituals with no real heartfelt experience of encountering um, Jesus. And maybe, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. The ascetic, this is the person who really likes a simplicity, um, unadored, unadorned sort of a lack of sensory stimulation in worship. They love... Um, kind of being removed from those things that might distract them from worshiping God. You know, think of John the Baptist, right? Who was really an ascetic, like he wore whatever those crazy clothes were <laughs> and he ate locusts and honey. And like, that's a very terrible <laughs> way to eat. But you know, uh, that's what he chose. Um, so solitude and austerity and strictness are sort of the rules of, of the ascetic. So solitude, like just really seeing that as a discipline of, of, of being away from people in order to meet with God. And austerity means um, shutting out sensory distractions that keep us from God. So there's a story of the mum of um, John Wesley, one of the great um, fathers of the faith, um, who had, I forget, 17 kids. I think she had 17 kids. So she was a busy mom, right? 
but her ascetic practice was she would put her apron over her mm-hmm. head when it was she it was time to pray and she's just like kids don't bug me when my aprons aprons <laughs> over my head because that's my time with God so that was her way of just sort of removing herself from what must have been chaos in the house just to be with with God and then strictness um, what I mean by that is really it the, the ascetics really like to stick with what they've chosen. Um, I, I think mm. of a, a man that taught a course at the seminary I went to. He came in from Ireland for a week. And one of his ascetic practices was whenever he received a gift or something was given to him, he had to give something away. So at the end of the week, somebody in our class gave him like a T-shirt from the seminary or whatever. He And I don't know if, I can't remember if it was in that moment or later, I, I heard him say, oh, I don't know if they know I have to give something away now. So he had to figure <laughs> out what he was going to give away because he received this because that was his Mm. ascetic practice. Mm. He didn't want to have a lot of things in his life. Mm. Um, so I think the temptation for those folks is really overemphasizing that personal piety that, you know, they're maybe, they might view themselves as being better than others mm. because they've, they've stripped themselves of so many external things. And I think that can be a real temptation for those folks. Mm. Mm. Okay. A few more here. Activists. Those are the people who stand up for righteousness in hostile places. And of course, we have many examples in scripture like Elijah, his confrontation with the prophets of Baal and how he stood alone against, you know, those 450 other people who in opposition to God. And I think, you know, those kinds of ways, like the activists are naturally those wired to find those places where they can... Um, stand in solidarity with the oppressed and work mm. toward seeing justice happen. So they might be involved in spheres and the arenas and sectors in our society that work towards those goals, but they might also do it really actively through intercession or praying through their neighborhood or, you know, Karl Barth, the great theologian talked about having your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. So kind of like um, using intercession as a mean of, of, of instigating change that needs mm-hmm. to happen for, for the kingdom. And I think a temptation for the activists can be really just, um, they can be really resentful. Like, why are other people not doing this mm. when don't they so see this big need? And um, kind of almost like an elitist, like, mm. oh, I'm doing this and the rest of you guys aren't mm. helping with this. So that's just a real temptation for them. Mm. Caregivers love God by loving others. Um you know, clearly the easiest example we can think of is the Good Samaritan narrative who saw somebody in need and shut down his schedule, gave some money, gave practical help to this person. So, you know, we always think of that person who's just, mm-hmm. I think we all have that in our life, right? Somebody who's a natural caregiver, caring for sick, helping those in a personal crisis. But it could be things like, you know, maybe household repairs or fixing a car or helping with a computer issue for an older person or given money to somebody, right? They Mm. can look a lot of different ways depending on who the person is that they're helping. And I think one temptation for those folks who are caregivers can be that they almost, they want to receive back because they've served others. So they kind of feel like they can be tempted to feel like you need to give back to me because I've given to you or, Mm. or, or my giving to you is my way of kind of feeding myself. Mm. So it's done out of this intention that isn't necessarily always Pure. So I think that's, that's something they have to really mm. guard against. Then there's the enthusiasts who love God with mystery, celebrations, supernatural events. So these are the people who are really open to like dreams and like, what's God saying to me through this dream? Like there's a whole biblical tradition around how God spoke through dreams that are really, um, really cool. And I think worth us paying attention to. We don't do that a lot in our Western culture. 
um, expectancy. They step out in faith in unknown situations, and they love to just trust God to meet them in unexpected ways, whether that's through supernatural um, experiences or gifts. Um, so these people need to be really careful to not just seek experience for experiences sake, mm-hmm. like not to always look for that sort of like next high of like, what's God doing? That's mm-hmm. like huge and amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two more to go here. So the contemplatives are those who love God through adoration and just this, they, they really, um, gravitate to like lover imagery. Um, that love is just this unique gift that they can give back to God, you know, where you see in the old Testament, how the people of Israel are like likened to this like bride of God, bride, mm-hmm. and just that lover imagery, and just you know the, the many times that that was broken throughout their history with God, and I think the contemplative really is drawn to that kind of um, imagery and love to just empty their lives of things that choke that love for God. They might do contemplative prayers like centering prayers or you know, praying a breath prayer that's like a repetitious prayer just to be with Jesus. Or they might cling to doing secret acts of devotion that nobody knows about, like mm. like doing something for somebody or mm. uh, maybe singing only for God when they're alone or, you know, doing their own little prayer vigil that nobody knows about. So because they just have this um, heart to just only between them and God have this like beautiful special spot that they can that they can express their love to him. And they need to be really careful about um, just not losing balance, like being able to love people and the world as well, and not to be so self-focused on their own um, experience that um, they're not really being drawn into Christ, but they get really sort of kind of almost like a navel gazer, right? Mm. And then the last one, the intellectuals, these are the people who just love the love God with their mind, that there's something about when they learn something new or they study, it just unleashes this sense of adoration and joy. Um, you know, like in Proverbs, it talks about, let the wise add to their wisdom and search for it as a treasure. So these people will, you know, get training or courses or go to seminary or do reading or, you know, podcasts like this great one or or sermons or lectures or church history Mm -hmm. or anything that they can to to learn more about who God is and his character, because Mm -hmm. that unleashes a sense of worship. And they need to be really careful about um, how much they elevate what they know over what they actually do in obedience to the things that they're learning about. Mm. And they might be the type of people too who are wired to just love controversy. So mm. to be careful about that kind of thing. So anyways, that's unpacking the nine pathways. And um, yeah, I think it's helpful to know that because like you said, Ainsley, when you meet somebody who's from a different tradition and they really value that and you kind of see it as like, Ugh, I'm not sure if they're a Christian. Yeah. Or I'm not sure if there's any life in that to hear from them the ways that that is a pathway for them to meet with God, I think can be humbling for us mm. in, a, in a way that we need to be. Yeah. Like we each need to look at our own tradition of what we've been raised with, if you've been raised in the church. And if you haven't, maybe what's been your first exposure to Jesus and the people that formed you in that, because mm. that'll be sort of your natural, oh, I guess that's how you meet with God. 
Like, you know, oh, quiet time. I got to do a quiet time because that's apparently what you're supposed to do. Is, you know, if you're, yeah. you know, you got to read your scripture for X amount of verses and you got to pray for X amount of minutes and that's what you got to do. Right. And I'm not saying that's not a good thing. Those are great spiritual disciplines, but to maybe branch out and try some other ways of meeting with God that you haven't. And I know you're going to explore that with future guests. I would really encourage people to do that because you might find something like, whoa, mm. this is amazing. Mm. Or you might find others like, oh, well, I don't really get it. But now I understand this person better. Mm. Like, for example, like intellectuals, that's not my way of meeting with God. Like, I'm not a study in like, <laughs> you know, I unleashes like this beautiful adoration for God. It just doesn't. It's just hard work for me. Mm. But I have two friends in my life who this is the way they meet with God. You know, when they talk about, oh my gosh, I did this Bible study and just blah, 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 like all this stuff about Jesus. And it's just like, wow. And it just shapes them as a person and it shapes mm-hmm. their level of obedience. It's like, oh, okay, that's good. Like that wouldn't be what I would do. Like I wouldn't mm. necessarily participate in that study, but I can appreciate now how that means so much for your personality and the way that you're mm. wired. Mm. You know, so I think, yeah, so to try some for ourselves, but also to give space that the ways that other people meet with God, like ask them, like, how does that draw you closer to God? Like, how did you meet Jesus in that when you, you know, um, were in that church with the smells and the bells, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think you can be surprised mm-hmm. with what... Um, what they would have to say and, and just the ways that it's rich for them. Yeah. The thing that's standing out to me, and I know this, hmm. but it is a thing that I need to remind myself of. It's like, Jen, it is okay that you don't connect with God in X, Y, Z ways that mm. so-and-so does. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like a comparison thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think as you're diving into these nine um, pathways, it just is a reminder that there's so much freedom mm. and so much, um, yeah, like, it, like for me anyways, it's like, it gives me permission to do the things that I know that I love to do and the things that I know that, the ways that I connect with God and it's okay that it's not other things. And yet like being challenged by other things, like as you're talking about, um, I forget which one, but I remember when you did this with us at Timothy training seven years ago, that still blows my mind. You made us, um, there was like a couple of stations, (laughs) one of them where we were by ourselves and we literally were sitting in the grass for half an hour and you're just like, (laughs) just here for God. And I'm like, this is before I, like I never practiced like silence and solitude or right. even just like be of the wear of the sense mm. around you. Mm. And I think that was the first one. I'm like, Oh boy, this is going to be like a full two hours of just like trying weird things. I think the mm. next thing was we had to eat supper by ourselves mm. and you're like, focus on the textures of the food. What does it taste like? And how do you see God in this? I'm like, I have never thought of this before. <laughs> and yet like, there's times where like fry pies, if anybody has listened to work friends, you know that we've talked about impressions bakery and we had the owner on <laughs> these fry pies are heaven on earth. They are so good. And I'm like, 
well, like God gave Graham the ability to make these things. <laughs> Is it over spiritualizing things? Maybe sometimes, but like there's a gift in those things. Yeah. Like there's an opportunity to connect yeah. with God in those yeah. things. Yeah. And so I hope as people listen to this, that it kind of gives them permission to try new yeah. things, but then also too, like, it's okay that you're not like, mm. I'm not like you, Connie, mm. and I'm not like you, Ainsley. And that's mm. okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is so okay. It's actually yeah. almost the point maybe. It's true. Yeah. There yeah. needs to be a lot of grace yeah. for yourself and for other people. Mm-hmm. And I found too, I feel like because I've kind of dabbled in all these things over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, I feel like I have a lot of these things in my toolkit and most of these I don't use most of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'll have seasons where something is just like, oh, I just need this for this season mm. because yeah, I just need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for example, like a breath prayer where you just, you know, in sync with your breath, you like inhale and 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 think or speak like this or, or father or um, good shepherd or whatever it is. And then and breathe out and, and express your desire to God of what you would want Jesus to do for you. Mm-hmm. And put those two together, you know, like Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit, come. and you just sit with that for five minutes because you don't maybe have words to pray other mm-hmm. ways for that day or that week. Or maybe doing that would help quiet your heart and still your mind so you can do other things with God, like mm-hmm. read scripture or pray mm-hmm. for other people. So I think the more you have sort of in your toolkit, the more that you can pull out in the future in different seasons. Like right now, the season that I'm in right now, like I am doing scripture reading every day. Like I'm just in a, this year, I want to go through the Bible one more time again. I try to do that every five years where the fifth year I'm reading through all the scripture. So I'm doing that. That's a discipline. But then the prayer that I'm using right now is actually from Danielle Strickland. Um, It's called, it's on her website or her website, Infinitum Life. And it's really three simple movements that are like an embodied prayer. So it's surrender with your hands raised to the sky, like I surrender to you. And she's got a few prompts of how you can pray in that way. And then the second movement is generosity, where you just have your hands up in an open posture to say, you know, what I have is not mine. And I want to live open-handed in a closed-fisted culture. And then forward mission Mm -hmm. to embrace the mission of God and whatever that means for you for that day. And I've just found that rhythm really helpful to sort of ground a way of praying that's also super relational and super open-ended that Mm. just gives me, yeah, kind of a structure, but also just a way of just being with God to allow him to speak and allow me to speak to him about where I'm at today in this Mm. moment. So that's just a rhythm I'm using right now that I've found helpful. But if I hadn't branched out and tried a bunch of things, like, you know, I wouldn't know what to draw on. So you know, maybe you're in a, se- in a season of experimentation where it's just like, I just want to try a whole whack of these different things. Like I'm going to sit in stillness for two hours on Saturday morning and see what that's like. Or I'm going to, you know, do the five senses like you talked about, Jen, you know, just I'm going to eat my sandwich and see how God speaks to me through the texture <laughs> of my sandwich. <laughs> yeah. You know, or maybe I'm going to read a, a prayer that was written by a saint from 500 years ago. You know, and, and just try those things and see, like, you know how I think we're just really it's about like we can't control God we can't he's not like we're not he's not somebody that we can summon by magic right like we're not magicians who can just summon the presence of God but 
What we can do is provide an an open space within ourselves to receive him should he choose to show up in that moment. Mm. And I think that's what these things can help us to do. When we find our sacred pathway and the ways that work with our personality and our skill set and our and our makeup and our just who we are, when we find those ways that just feel the most natural and comfortable and we 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 engage in those practices, God shows up often. Mm-hmm. He doesn't always, but often he does. And I think that's the beauty of of just experimenting with this and just trying things out. Mm-hmm. Really good. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it brings it down to not just like, you know, you've you've kind of got it can be a little over well not overwhelming, but just there's there's a lot, right? Mm. There's so many different mm. things in understanding that. But I think too, like I always like whenever I approach these kind of things of looking at it as an invitation. Mm. Like it's not a mm. you need to do these things, it's an invitation to mm-hmm. discover more about God. Um, and as seasons change and you feel farther and closer from God, to have ways to experiment, to explore, to learn more of a depth of God, as well as learning more about yourself and who God's mm-hmm. created you to be. Um, can you just talk a little bit, like, um, I mean, you've mentioned some things about, you know, how you can use this practically and stuff, but how has God kind of formed you through all of this? Um, yeah, I think, like I alluded to earlier, like in my 30s when I was first exposed to other sort of creative and intuitive ways of meeting with God, I think the way that they formed me was when I found a way of relating with God that I hadn't before. Like say, for example, for like um, spending time in nature and meeting with God in a way that was so profound, it just stuck with me for weeks and months and even years. Like I can remember a time, here's an example. So I was out for a walk in a park with one of my kids who was in a stroller. I can't remember which kids, sorry, children. I don't remember which of you was. <laughs> but, and I was just feeling really distant from God that day or that season or whatever. I'm just like, I just sat, they were napping in their stroller beside me. I was just seated on a bench. I'm like, just God, I just need to know that you're real. And he know that you're near. And I just, all of a sudden, as I was just sitting on that bench, this breeze, literally after I'd prayed that prayer, came and it wasn't all over me. It was literally on my face. Like it literally brushed across my face. And for me, like touching my face, I think for any of us, touching your face is an incredibly intimate act. And for God to do that for me in that moment through nature, through just the wind that just happened to come up in that moment, it was a profound encounter with the realness and the nearness of God and that he heard me in that cry, in that prayer for that moment. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example I share of just like, there's been so many moments of that where I've allowed myself to go with you know, the way that I'm wired and just be surprised at how God Mm -hmm. has showed up Mm -hmm. and met me and really changed my perception of who he is. Um, And hopefully over time has formed me too Mm. into, you know, being more obedient and more loving and all those things that we want to be, right? Because it's ultimately not about me and what I glean from that experience. Mm -hmm. It's ultimately about what that, how that helps me to live 
in my mission mm. in the world, mm-hmm. right? So, so yeah. So I just say, yeah, that it, it has formed me, um, yeah, profoundly. Like to to allow me to not apologize for the way that I'm wired, mm. but to see that as a gift mm-hmm. and an entry point for meeting with God. And I think we each have that unique wiring and personality. That's not to be pushed aside. You know, I think we look at our personality like, like sometimes I liken myself to the Apostle Peter, right? Like who had this big mouth, <laughs> right? I got a big mouth and my mouth gets me in trouble all the time. And my kids will tell you that. <laughs> my husband will tell you that. And But the gift of Peter with his big mouth that got him in trouble all the time, the flip side of that, when that was surrendered and used in a beautiful way, it was hugely impactful mm-hmm. for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I look at that the same way as the way that we're wired. Like when, when we're when we're living into the way that we're wired and the things that we're drawn to in a surrendered posture before God, mm-hmm. God can meet us in really profound and beautiful ways. When we're using our personality and our wiring in not a surrendered way, we do a lot of damage, right? And I think it's the same in the ways that we relate to God. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel there's an overlap there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 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 Hmm. Um, I didn't send you this question beforehand, but I wonder if you could touch on, um, like, I think we can all relate to it that when we create space and we accept God's invitation and all these things and we don't hear him Mm. or we don't experience him, Mm. um, yeah, I'm sure people listening to this can really, all of us have been on a journey in wrestling, um, yeah, how, how have you sat with that? And maybe just encourage people who are in that space right now as we're talking about, you know, like different ways of connecting with God when that just seems really difficult right now. Yeah, it's so hard, right? Because when you feel like you're kind of keeping up your end of the deal mm. <laughs> and he doesn't meet you in that, you feel disappointed, you feel alone, you feel... Why am I doing this? Should I do this? Um, it's easy to throw in the towel. I think that's where um, you know. I think how do we answer this? That's such a difficult question. You know, I think we all go through that in different seasons of our life. And I think you know Eugene Peterson kind of touches on this in his book. Um, under the unpredictable plant. I know you've had a guest talked about Eugene Peterson in the past, but he basically says, you know, don't give up reading scripture and just praying every day, like regardless of what other spiritual practices you're involved in. And sometimes that feels like rote and sometimes that feels hard, but, you know, try to just maintain some spiritual practice believing that God is good, believing that he is near, even if you have no sense of it. and Or the other practice that Ignatius of Loyola talks about, you know, he has a sort of a different take. He says, you know, if you don't do any other prayer in your day, just do this one prayer, and it's called the prayer of examen, where you just replay your day with God, just as a way of finishing your day. You know, first with gratitude of the things that happen, and then, you know, God, where were you in my day? And just allow him to point out moments where maybe he was present and you had no idea that he was actually there in that moment through that word from that person or through that um, situation or, you know, who knows what, or through that that interaction or word from somebody else. 
And then you also just look back on your day with God and say, okay, where did I miss you in my day today? Not to beat yourself up, not to be like, oh, I missed you again, you know, like, but just to acknowledge, oh, okay, there was a moment. And why was it? Was it my own disobedience? Was it my not paying attention? Was it just because I was distracted? Was it because somebody else hurt or did something terrible to me? Just so that you can work as you do that and do that repeatedly day after day, you start to notice more readily when God is present in your day. Mm. Anyway, so that's just, that's Ignatius's ideas. If you have no other way to pray, pray the examen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than, you know, just trust that Jesus can hold your hand in really, really dark places for really, really long times, mm. even if you can't feel it. Mm. And if it means you know, for you doing some measure of deconstruction or, or reevaluating what spiritual practices you do. But if you keep naming your desire, like even that desire to know God, even if you don't, or to, to, to be with God or to see God, even if that doesn't happen, just that desire for you to still want those things from God, that even in of itself is an act of worship. And that in and of mm. itself is a way of saying or a way of acknowledging that God put that desire in me because he's always in pursuit of me, even when I can't feel it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's super helpful. No, it's good. It's but those a are hard some of the questions. It's a hard question. There's no one <laughs> yeah. answer for it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And walk alongside somebody. Like, don't do this alone. Mm. Like, don't pull away from a life-giving community Mm. that points you to Jesus. I think we need each other so much to do this life of following Jesus, right? Because there's so many voices and there's so much in our culture pulling us away, you know, and so much media distraction and so many voices um, that are speaking so many messages. So I think we really need the community to help us in that and in our weakness to say, you know, can you walk with me in this? Because I'm like not feeling any of this right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard but good. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth uh, of the matter. Yeah. Mm, but I really it's appreciate true. what you said, that Jesus can hold your hand for a really long time in the dark times. That's mm. <laughs> true. Yeah, it's true. Um, as we wrap up our conversation here, I would just love to hear... Um, of some resources that you found really helpful in all of this uh, in um, mm. yeah, secret pathways, um, spiritual disciplines. Yeah. Mm. What have been some okay. really helpful resources that people can go and find themselves? Sure. Um, there's been so many, <laughs> <laughs> I think first off having had a spiritual director was really, really helpful for me. Um, initially, and I went through the Ignatian Spiritual Exercises a number of years ago, which was a great introduction to many ways of meditating on scripture, using imagination and prayer, inviting, really um, also learning how to pray to the Trinity, not just sort of your go-to part of who God is. 
So anyways, that was the Ignatian spiritual exercises, which again, that might be a bit like woo out there for some people, but um, that was a helpful thing. More, um, I, I'm really into the Enneagram too, and I don't want to get into Enneagram stuff, but there's one book in particular that's been really helpful around spiritual rhythms and the Enneagram, and it's a book called that, Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram by Adele Calhoun. And she has super practical, like, reflection questions or prayers or scriptures based on your Enneagram type that you can really sit with. So each chapter is dedicated to a different type. And I haven't even worked through my entire chapter yet because it's just (laughs) so rich and there's so much. So that's been one. She also has a book called um, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And that's more almost like a teaching tool of all the, like, I forget how many she's got in there, 150 spiritual practices, <laughs> but like with real good scriptural like basis, like what would be the fruit? What does this look like? And some practical exercises mm-hmm. to actually try. So that's super helpful. I've used that a lot when I've taught on different spiritual disciplines. Um, for fiction people, there's that um, Sharon Garlow Brown series, like Sensible Shoes, which kind of tracks with women who've sort of dabbling in some different contemplative spiritual practices so sort of more from like a story narrative sort of way of engaging um and then like oh so many others (laughs) I have a lot of catholic writers that I follow and and read and I'm really careful about recommending some of them just because of people from protestant tradition it's a little tricky to sort of wade through some of the theological underpinnings of that Um, but there's a lot of readers or a lot of writers in that stream who write more on um, different spiritual practices that we don't have as much of a rich, what's the word, a rich pool mm. in evangelical circles. But Ruth Haley Barton is fantastic in terms of evangelical writers who really make a bridge between some of these spiritual practices and um, maybe language that's more friendly mm. to mm-hmm. those of us who don't necessarily resonate with Catholic theology. Mm. So she's been really helpful. But a Catholic writer, Henry Nowen, ugh. Anything he's written. <laughs> awesome. Mm. So, yeah, that's lots. Mm. Go I check think. them out. Yeah. <laughs> that's All, of them. All of them. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Mm-hmm. We can tell you your, your gift in teaching kind of comes out really well. I feel like we've gotten so much oh, good thanks. practical heart Com- com- combination teaching here is really good um, and just to end off we ask every guest this and that is what's the best piece of advice you've been given yeah I know you sent me that question ahead of time and I really hated it <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I don't remember all the <laughs> advice that's been given to me so I'm going to go with the one of the most recent because that's what's yeah. been sticking with me lately most recent in the sense of it was two years ago as I was discerning heading into this pastoral role um, one of the gals in our life group said, Connie, you need to wear the mantle. And that's kind of a weird piece of advice, wear the mantle. But what that comes from is when Elijah um, raised up Elisha as the next leader and kind of put his cloak, his mantle onto Elisha. So it was this this, this handoff. And, and not that somebody specifically was handing that to me, but it, it was like, for good or for bad, where, where this vocation, where, where who you are and what you've been called into as a, as a new pastor, mm. be a pastor. Cause I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? 
and kind of shrinking back, but to for good or for bad, because it's both, when you see the mantle, not that I physically wear, I'm, I'm not part of that tradition where I physically wear something that delineates me as a pastor, but it was more this, this live into the vocation you've been called to with confidence that God has put you there. Mm. So wear the mantle. That's been really good advice I've been trying mm. to live by lately. Mm-hmm. Connie, thank you so much. You know, as a sentimental gal, that this moment was coming the whole time. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. But Aww. I just thank you so much for being an example worth following. Mm-hmm. Like I've known you since I've been mm-hmm. 11. And for a while, you're Brianna's mom. But mm-hmm. I like I just so appreciate your wisdom and your guidance and your genuine care. Like I saw you at a stag and doe like a couple months and I'm just like, you're like, how are you doing, Jen? I'm like, <laughs> all of these like difficult, hard tensions yeah. and whatever else. And you like I you, you're so much more than just Brianna's mm. mom. Oh, thank and you. So yeah, thank you so and much. And you're more for than being... Brianna's friend. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. To thank me. you for your wisdom for your And I'll heart, remember your and... name, I promise. <laughs> Gord. Maybe if you listen to this, hi, I'm we Jen. You have been in your house. <laughs> so funny. Do you want to come live with us and then maybe he'll know who you maybe are? Maybe he'll remember. That's true. Maybe. That's true. So oh, funny. But thank you. I yeah. really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. I really mm-hmm. appreciate your time. And I appreciate this, what you guys are doing. I think it's a gift to mm-hmm. people that you serve. So keep doing it. Girls, mm-hmm. I bless you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us as we practice Rhythms of Grace together. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you through this season. So please share your journey with us on Instagram or Facebook at Just Work Friends. We'll be back next Monday with our first official rhythm. Woo! <laughs> Get so pumped. until then. Bye-bye. Bye. Get pumped. <laughs> <laughs>